Hello, hello! My name is Bird, and I'm the Ex-Mormon Witch. Welcome to my space, where I share my story and explore subjects I'm interested in. So, one of the big questions that you get asked when you tell people that you're a witch, or that you practice witchcraft, is immediately, what? Who? Why? What kind of witch are you? What does that mean? What, what does that look like? And there's a lot that could be said here in this general subject area, because what witchcraft is and what that word means can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. Witchcraft isn't just one homogenous thing. Like if you read a book like Harry Potter, witchcraft is a single discipline, whereas in real life, in practice, Witchcraft is a lot of things, and it looks like a lot of different things. It can look very different depending on who you are, what you want, what you're looking to get out of the practice of witchcraft. So rather than get into the esoterical, metaphysical side of things, how witchcraft works, um, I thought it might be useful just to start with a brief conversation on what witchcraft is. The best metaphor I've ever come up with to sort of explain witchcraft as an overarching concept to people who aren't super familiar with it, particularly in the Western world, is to actually compare it to yoga, because they're both things that you do. Witchcraft isn't a religion. It's a thing that you do. It's a practice. For many people, it's part of their spiritual practice. Much like yoga, yoga is a spiritual practice. It's a thing that you do. It's something very physical. But in its inception, in its creation, it was rooted in a very specific kind of spirituality. It has its roots um, in Hinduism as well as in other places. And yet it has since evolved and sort of expanded beyond those roots Yoga is now something that is and can be practiced by people who hail from all kinds of spiritual traditions and backgrounds. And whether it is a part of your spiritual practice or just a fun hobby, that's really up to the individual who's practicing it. You can be a Christian and do yoga just as a form of exercise, or maybe you are a practicing Jew, you believe in Judaism, and you practice a form of yoga as a fundamental aspect of your spirituality, incorporating some of those aspects of the practice, mindfulness, awareness, moving meditation, presence in the body, as an act of worship, but focus towards your individual conception of what that means, of deity, of spirituality, of consciousness. And so it can really be sort of customized and tailored to your experience, to your background, in these really valuable ways that make it accessible to people from all walks of life. And in my experience, witchcraft is very much the same. It is a thing that you do. It's a, a practice or a lot of things that you can do in spiritual practice. But it's very much been sort of expanded and extrapolated on and become incorporated in a lot of different faiths and spiritualities and traditions. 
So you'll have different types of witchcraft that originate in different specific religions. Much like yoga has a lot of roots in Hinduism, you will find witchcraft with roots in Judaism, in Roman polytheism, Greek polytheism, Celtic polytheism, even in Christianity, although Christians will, for the most part, really decry and disapprove of witchcraft as a practice. But there are Christian witches who practice. There are Jewish witches, atheist witches, agnostic witches, polytheists, agnostics. The practice of witchcraft isn't tied to a specific belief system. It's not tied to a specific religion in literally any way. And so kind of as a result, when people tell you that they're a witch, they'll often attach extra words onto the word witch to sort of help denote more specifically what their beliefs might be around witchcraft and also what that practice might look like. Because not only are the beliefs that are possible to incorporate with witchcraft very, very different, what those practices are and what they look like can also be very, very different. So someone might tell you that they're a Wiccan witch. That specifically means that they belong to a set religion, Wicca. Wicca is a set of theologies, beliefs, not just practices, just like every other religion. They might tell you that they're a, a neo-pagan witch, which means that they might believe in any of a number of very, very old non-Christian spiritual traditions, faiths that have sort of been potentially reconstructed to a certain degree. In terms of practice, people might identify as a green witch, a hedge witch. If their practice involves a lot of devotion to deity, they might identify themselves as a priest or a priestess of a particular deity or a particular faith tradition. And so these words that we attach onto witch become very, very useful and very, very helpful. So in terms of me specifically sort of sharing my journey into witchcraft, where I've sort of ended up where I am right now, because this is a journey and it wanders all over the place, I would mostly identify myself as a solitary eclectic witch. So the word solitary really explains a lot about how I practice. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not religious. For instance, there are solitary practitioners within Wicca. They still belong to that religion. They still believe in the theologies and the traditions of that religion, but they practice alone. Solitary witches don't have a group. They don't have what's usually referred to in the witch community as a coven, but for someone, say, a Christian, because I'm surrounded by Christians living in the Deep South, you might think of that as your congregation, your Bible study group, your faith community, the people that you meet with in person to discuss and practice your religion in whatever way that means to you, to worship together, to study together, to do spells together if you're a witch, whatever that means for that particular group. A solitary witch like me doesn't have that. I practice exclusively by myself. No one helps me with spells. No one comes over and does rituals with me. 
any of my spiritual practices, any of my magical practices, those a lot of the times happen in a bubble. I might do spells for people. I've done that before. I will have friends who will ask me to do a spell for them, make a sigil for them, and I'm more than happy to do that. But they wouldn't necessarily come over and do the craft with me. And so I would identify myself as a solitary witch. Now, eclectic is a little more on the nose when it comes to both belief and practice. Eclectic lets you know that I'm a little bit, I think the best way I ever heard anyone describe eclectic witches was we are the magpies and the crows of the witchcraft world. We run around looking for shiny things wherever we can find them. And if we find something we like, we just pick it up and we take it home with us. And so eclectic witches can kind of get a bad reputation as a result of that. There is occasionally a divide between eclectic witches and what are often referred to as reconstructionist witches or possibly witches who follow a very distinct, very unified path or who belong to a particular religion. If you have a very set way of thinking about things, way of doing things, looking at someone who is eclectic, who sort of picks and chooses from whatever they want, and does whatever they want, they kind of come across as wishy-washy. That's something that I've been accused of a lot, and, and not necessarily by people in the witchcraft world, but even by people in just my everyday, normal, quote-unquote, my muggle life with, with normal people. I've been accused of being wishy-washy about a lot of things because I'm eclectic because that very much falls in line with my personality. I'm very much a pick-and-choose. I like what I like. I don't like what I don't like. And I just, in the words of many, many witches in many places, I take what resonates and I leave the rest. If you're dealing it with a witchcraft group, witchcraft teacher, YouTubers, podcasters, all of the above, that's a phrase you're going to hear a lot, repeated over and over and over again. Take what resonates, leave the rest. And that is very much what it lives at the core of eclectic witchcraft. You're only taking what works for you. You're only taking what really lights you up on the inside. And anything that doesn't work for you, anything that doesn't make sense, anything that's gross or you don't like for whatever reason, you just ignore it. You just move on. It's not for you. You don't necessarily judge other people unless it's something, you know, unethical or violent or deeply problematic, but you're not going to let that take from you. You're just going to move on with your life with what does work for you, with what does make you happy, with what adds and validates and expands your spiritual practice, what works for you specifically. Eclectic witchcraft is very selfish in a lot of ways. It's very self-centered. And I think that's another thing that also gives eclectic witches kind of a bad rap is because if you are part of a specific faith tradition, Religions are very much about community. They're about shared belief, shared theology. It's about coming together as that group with a commonality in terms of belief and practice. And so to, to turn away from that, to move into isolation, to say no one's thoughts, no one's feelings, no one's opinions or beliefs matter, just mine, just me, 
I'm the only person that matters, that can come across as incredibly self-centered, which personally, I don't think is a bad thing. Part of my journey in moving out of religion, in sort of leaning into mental health and learning to set healthy boundaries was learning to be selfish in a very healthy way. I needed to be selfish in order to have good boundaries, in order to be able to stand in my own power and not just let what everyone else wanted run my life. And so in many ways, things like eclectic witchcraft are kind of a a reaction for me to my past trauma. That's something that I think that as people, we have a lot of resistance to. The ways that we make choices in our present based on what's happened to us in the past, we have a lot of resistance to that idea, especially when we're leaving something behind, looking for something better. We really, really want to be able to say, I've left that behind, it doesn't affect me anymore. But I think as you learn and as you grow, you start to realize that it does affect you and that's okay. So coming from a past where I was in the Mormon church, which is a very high demand religion, has so, so many rules, so many regulations, is very, very controlling in terms of a very strict, very set theology. This is what you need to believe in order to be a good person. And as a set of very strict practices, this is what you need to do to be a good person. My reaction to that was to go the complete opposite direction, to leave all of that behind and go solely in the direction of no one has any say in my life, in my beliefs, in my practices, but me. And that doesn't just mean people. That doesn't just mean religion. It means spiritual leaders. It means religions. It means books like holy books like the Bible or just general witchcraft books now. It even means to a certain extent deity. I didn't work with deity at all for a really long time after I started practicing witchcraft, after I left religion behind, because that was really, really important to me. I had spent my whole life being afraid of God to a certain extent, being bound up in this religion in a lot of ways through fear, fear of missing out on good things or fear of punishment. It was all just fear, and I was paralyzed by that fear, by this idea that everything I did, everything I wanted, everything I was, who I was, needed to align with this external force that was God. And and that was terrifying for me in a lot of ways. How was I supposed to make any decision and do anything if I was never sure if that was exactly what God wanted and I needed to only do what God wanted me to do. And so my approach to the concept of deity for a really long while was whatever's out there. It could be gods, demons, angels, spirits, whatever's out there, the powers that be. You can either help me or you can get out of my way because I have things to do. I have a life to live. I can't constantly be be waiting and wondering and trying to be sure that whatever I'm doing is okay with some external force that 
honestly may or may not exist. We don't know. And so I'm just going to do what works for me. I'm going to do what I want. And that has been incredibly useful for me. There is an idea, a phrase that gets thrown around a lot in witchcraft circles as well, which is this word sovereignty and personal sovereignty. It's about power and authority. Where does your power live? Who owns your power? Is it you or is it someone else? Personal sovereignty is taking ownership of yourself, of your life. You are the sovereign, the ruler, the sole voice and authority of your own life. What are you going to do with that power? Whereas in a lot of ways, religions, even worshiping a specific deity, that can sometimes, depending on your approach, require you to give power away, which was very much the approach of my natal religion. The religion and spirituality I was raised in was all about surrender, not just the Mormon side of things, but being raised in the Bible Belt and homeschooled in the Bible Belt, being part of a very fundamentalist Christian homeschool group. Everyone was all about this idea of surrendering to God. Everything is about surrender, giving up that power, giving it to someone else, whether that was directly to God through the mechanism of the Bible in terms of the fundamentalist Christians, or in terms of the Mormons, giving that power to church leaders, because Mormons venerate their leaders as mouthpieces of God. And so they give a lot of their power away to those leaders. If you have a thought, if you have a belief or an opinion, and it doesn't line up with the leadership, you are the one who's wrong. You are the one who is the problem. And that is a huge burden to carry. It's something that made me really, really uncomfortable when I was Mormon, trying to hold that, having beliefs and thoughts and opinions, and constantly needing to invalidate myself, living with the cognitive dissonance of, I have this belief, I have this very, very strong opinion and understanding of the world based on my experience, but it has to be wrong because the leadership says something different. And it sort of leads you to, to sort of brainwash yourself. There is a phrase that I picked up from George Orwell's book, which you're probably familiar with because it's very famous, 1984. And I, I never actually read it cover to cover, but I did read good chunks of it. And this phrase, double think, is used. It's when the main character knows something but the the organization, in this case, the government, says something else. And so he has to believe both things simultaneously. He knows what is true, but what is true is a lie. And so the lie is the truth. And I remember reading that book and resonating so deeply with that idea, that concept of doublethink these light bulbs going off in my head of, yes, this is exactly what I've been doing my entire life. I've been engaging in doublethink. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I, I have found a lot of value in doublethink. As someone who's moved away from authority, having the ability to, to hold conflicting beliefs, 
Um, I practice chaos magic, which is probably going to have to be its whole other conversation. And so that has become a valuable tool for me in different ways. But double think as an aspect of cognitive dissonance of having your personal worldview come in direct conflict with a prevailing authority that must be right for you to be good is a very painful experience. It's very disorienting and it cripples your ability to be authentic and honest. And and honestly, it it really cripples your self-confidence. How can you have any confidence in yourself, in your ability to have opinions and make decisions when you're constantly checking yourself against an external authority? When you're constantly asking yourself, well, I have this thought, I have this belief, I have this opinion, but can I be right if I'm not validated by someone else, someone who has this mantle of power and authority that doesn't exist? All of those those people that we venerate as these great leaders, they only have that authority because we give it to them, because we believe that it's there. And speaking from personal experience, it is just as easy to take that mantle away and give it to yourself. It might take a little bit of practice. It might take a little bit of time to be confident in that, to really, really make it work for you. But in my experience, that is a really, really, really great thing to do for yourself, to take your power back from everyone else and say, this belongs to me. I'm the one who is the primary authority in everything. I decide what's true. I decide what's real. No one else's opinion gets to matter to me in my life. And yeah, that can get kind of lonely. It does in many ways sort of force you to be a little bit solitary. There are plenty of eclectic witches who do find community, who do work with covens and groups of other eclectic witches who find commonality where they can come together and practice together. But in some ways, your spiritual practice will always be solely your own. And if you're used to people being able to identify and communicate with you very much on the same level of having the exact same beliefs as you because you're part of a very dogmatic religion, that can can sometimes feel a little bit lonely right off the bat. It can take time to get used to that experience, to needing to find words to explain to people who don't understand based on their experiences what your experiences are at all. But that being said, I think that that's true for everyone's experience. I think to a certain degree, we all have our own unique experience of the world, of reality, of what that's like. I think about the idea that no two people see a color in exactly the same way. We can't even find the words to explain what that means. We know it's a scientific fact, but we can't even explain what that means because we can't comprehend that idea when it comes down to it. We can't really truly comprehend what it must be like to experience the world in a completely different way. And I think having an understanding of that, having an appreciation for that, finding the beauty in that is so incredibly valuable. It's so beautiful as a concept. And so I really love this idea of being solitary and eclectic. It's been really, really valuable for me. 
And I think it's it's valuable for everyone to kind of take a minute and take stock. Where is your power? Where do you derive your sense of validation in your beliefs and in your practices? In what ways do you look to an authority of some sort? And that doesn't have to be religious or spiritual authority. That can be secular. Some people find their validation exclusively in the sciences, in scientific community. That's not a bad place to find your validation, to find your sense of stability and reality. Some people find it in religion. That's not necessarily a bad idea or a bad place to find your sense of stability and your concept of reality. But I think it's very useful to know, to take the moment and the time to really engage in self-reflection, to know where your thoughts and beliefs and opinions really generate from. Is it something that's been prescribed to you by your family, by your community? Do you believe it just because that's what everyone has told you to believe? Do you believe it based on your own personal experiences, maybe mixed in with those external forces? Do you believe it's solely based on yourself? And can you believe something solely based on yourself? Because we don't exist in a vacuum. So to a certain extent, we will always be influenced by other people. But knowing where those influences come from and to what degree they affect us is, is very valuable, I think. So I hope you take you take a minute today to really dig into this idea of sovereignty, of power and authority, and where your authority is. To whom do you give your authority away? In what areas of your life do you yield your ability to make decisions to know what's best for yourself to other people? Who in your life, if you had a thought or an idea or a desire, and they told you, absolutely not, that's terrible, that's a terrible idea. Whose opinions would sway you and whose opinions would sway you the most? And why is that? So thank you for, for listening to me today as I ramble on about witchcraft, one of my favorite topics. I hope you are having a beautiful day today. Be good, my lovelies, and I'll talk to you later.